If you hear this message, please listen. There exists a dark organization who researched nightmarish creatures, objects, and entities. For decades, they've been using you, the unsuspecting public, as test subjects. They are known, they are known as Redwood Red 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 Bureau. My name is Agent Conroy, and I used to work for them. But now, I'm on the run, and I'm leaking highly classified reports because I believe you have a right to know. When you no longer hear my broadcasts, it means they've found me. Titled Ambrosius came to the Bureau at a time of great stress. The Bureau received reports of the supernatural and extraterrestrial on a daily basis for the past ten years. Reincarnation or anything to do with the dead is certainly not something new to the Bureau, but the putting off of such matters came as quite a surprise. Immortality has been hailed as the great unachievable task for centuries. Humanity has struggled to maintain their grasp over life, eking out its existence with the desire to forever be living. Death is the end of the journey for each and every living thing on this planet. In a small New England town, death occurs on a more timely schedule than anywhere else. As if on routine, high school students of Bradford High are often found dead as a dark and grisly tradition rears its face every other decade. Report 0659 follows the story of Jamie Kilter. Her journey is one of discovery, one through accident and happenstance. A dark twist of fate provides Jamie with a newfound treasure, one that will stick with her to the very end. The very end. The pendant sparkles in the light, like the night sky was when Jesse and I once went to watch a meteor shower. If I didn't know any better, I would think the pendant was covered in glitter. It sparkles that much. It's a little too much, and part of me wants to make a joke, but I don't. As much as Jesse and I love giving each other shit, we both know I could tone it down a bit in the serious parts. And this is as serious a part as any other one. This is the first gift that Jesse has ever given me. There were other gifts, sure, but this is the first adult gift. Like it's not a thing he got out of a gumball machine or something. He went somewhere and thought about this. He looked at other stuff, he came to a conclusion that I would like this based on what he knew about me. He knows I love stars. I love outer space stuff. My favorite movie is Contact. I told him when I get married I want to get a poster of the night sky on my wedding night at the coordinates I got married at. There's some company online that does posters like that. I saw it once and it stuck with me. I may be a dumb high school kid, but I'm not dumb enough to think that Jesse will be the guy that I marry. He may be. That would be awesome. And we've talked about it. But it's not something we've seriously discussed and made plans for. We both like to live in the moment. But still, it's sweet that he remembered that of me. That he put so much thought into something he was going to give me. I feel my eyes water up a bit. God, I fucking hate crying. You alright, Jamie? I look up to Jesse. He's only ever seen me cry once. When Frisky died, my pet squirrel. I saved him when he fell out of a tree. Well, my brother saved him, but I kept him. I wipe my cheek. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. This is just really nice. 
Jesse laughs. Well, I figured you wanted something besides that stupid mood ring. A loud smack sounds out as I swat Jesse on the shoulder. My hand stings now. That probably hurt me more than it hurt him. Ah, stop! You know I love that ring. Jesse rubs his arm. For some reason, yeah. But now you have an actual, real, genuine piece of jewelry for me. I look down at it again, studying the design. Where did you get it? He squints his eyes and looks away. Christ, Jesse, you didn't steal it, did you? What? No. I didn't steal a necklace to give to you. Huh. Then what did you give me that look for? I ask. Jesse sighs. Just... It's kind of embarrassing where I got it. How so? I ask. The words spill out of him. I got it at a pawn shop, okay? I can't afford to get something from a nicer place. It just sucks because I wanted to get you something really nice and- Jesse, this is nice. I love it. I don't care if it came from a pawn shop or a thrift store. You put thought into it and it genuinely means something, so I appreciate it. I grip the pendant in my palm, rubbing the surface of it with my thumb. I love you. He leans over and caresses my neck. I love you too. At school the next day, the vibe is thick with tension. I don't know what's going on. There are two police cars parked outside the main office building. An officer walks out, leans into one of the cars, and turns off the flashing lights on the roof. Are they not wanting to make a scene? Is something really that bad? I'm walking to first period when Principal Ward steps out of the front office door in front of me. Jamie, could I speak to you for a moment? He asks before I can walk around him. Uh, yeah, sure. Is everything alright? I ask. Principal Ward answers by gesturing to the partially open door. I walk in feeling completely out of place. I've been to the principal's office once and that was to sell cookies for band. I don't really get into trouble. Two police officers wait in chairs on the interior of Principal Ward's office. Jesus fucking Christ, what did I do? I can't help but to hear the handle of one of the officer's guns clank against the wood of the chair as they readjust themselves, following me as I walk in and stand in the corner. Jamie, please have a seat. Principal Ward says. Am I going to be here that long? I ask. Principal Ward stammers. What? No. One of the officers looks at him. I describe what he looks like, but, well, they both look exactly the fucking same. Think cop and you got it. Could you tell us when the last time you saw Jesse Church was? Cop one asks me. Why would I know that? I ask. Cop two. Don't you date him? I readjust my backpack strap on my shoulder. That's none of your business. I don't know where that came from. I'm never one to cause issues with authority figures. Principal Ward clears his throat and says, <clears throat> Jamie, Jesse has gone missing. I'm sure you can understand the gravity of this situation and- Missing? What do you mean missing? Cop One stands up from the chair. Exactly what it sounds like. Your boyfriend never came home last night, and his parents informed us that he was last seen with you. Last night. My head is spinning. I need to sit down. I brace myself against the wall. A framed community college degree tilts on the wall next to me, then falls to the ground. Did Principal Ward really go to a community college? 
I can't think straight. My thoughts race. Cop 2 approaches me and brings their chair, letting me sit down in it. Here, hang on. Relax. You feeling alright? Principal Ward stands up and retrieves a bottle of water from a mini-fridge behind his desk. He walks over and hands it to me. Here, Jamie. Drink some water, dear. You're alright. You're not in trouble. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Cop 1 shoot him a glance. Principal Ward smiles as he ignores the look. I take a swig of the water. It's not very cold, but it quenches my dry mouth, helping me finally clear my head a bit. I saw Jesse last night. It was our six-month anniversary. Cop 2 kneels next to me. What did you two do? Where did you go? We... Principal Ward's office door opens one more time. Then I hear... Shit. And it closes. A short rap of knuckles sounds on the door. Principal Ward answers the door and I can hear what sounds to be the low, husky voice of Coach Smith. You and the cops need to come now. The cops are a little busy trying to find a missing student, Coach Smith. Principal Ward answers. Coach Smith hesitates. Uh, we... we found him. The cops rush out of the office with Principal Ward and Coach Smith. I guess I'm not needed anymore. I stand from the chair feeling very lightheaded for a second, then walk out of the office. When I get outside, I can see the sidewalk to the gym. A crowd is formed around the double door entrance. The cops begin jogging as Coach Smith and Principal Ward push students aside. I hear a scream, and then students begin backing away. I make my way down the sidewalk, dreading what I'll hear or see. Another faculty member is around the other students, pushing people away and yelling, Come on, guys, head to class, you can't be here. I skirt the outside of the student body and walk to the west wall of the gym. As I turn the corner, a row of picnic tables hugs the edge of the wall. I hop up onto the seat of one of the tables, then climb to the top of the table. The windows into the gym are barely reachable. I grip onto the brick with my hands and pull myself up. I'm not one for pull-ups, but I have to see what's going on. And I wish I hadn't. On the far side of the gym is Jesse's body, hanging by the neck from a basketball goal. My fingertips turn white as I grip the brick. I brace against the wall with my toes and push up a bit further. One of the cops grabs Jesse by the legs. The other just stares for a second as Coach Smith grabs a nearby ladder. Principal Ward talks with another teacher. The teacher holds tissues in her hand and blows her nose. Principal Ward gives her a hug and walks her out. The cops untangle Jesse's neck from the basketball net and finally lowers his body down to the ground. They lay him down softly on the gym floor, check his neck, then close his eyes. This can't be happening. I just saw him last night. What the fuck is going on? I grasp my pendant with one hand, not remembering I need it to hang on and lose my grip. My side slams into the picnic table and I flip over backwards onto the ground, dirt and dead leaves exploding in a cloud as I land. The wind rushes out of my gut and I hear a crunch that scares the shit out of me for a second. Then I roll over and realize it was a twig and not one of my bones. I lay in the leaves and grip my necklace, the last piece of Jesse I have. I feel tears start to rise up inside me. Around the corner I hear footsteps on dry grass. One of my classmates finds me flat on the ground in tears. He looks back around the building, yells, Yo, his girlfriend tried to kill herself, come look. I plop down in the nurse's office as she brings me a pack of ice. You'll probably have a bruise there for a good while. 
I'll this ice pack on it for a few. She hands me a half-melted blue pack. My friend Jenna sits next to me and pokes the bag. It looks like the pack my mom keeps in her lunchbox for work, she says with a few more thoughtful pokes. I lean forward, place the pouch under my left ass cheek, then lean back on it. The cold penetrates my jeans, that weird feeling of wet and cool. She pulls out her phone, snaps a pic of me before I realize it, then goes to work on a caption for wherever she's going to post it. What are the fucking odds? She mutters. Odds of what? I ask, leaning back to lay down completely. The thin paper cover on the nurse seat wrinkles under my movement. I stare up at the fluorescent lights above me, squinting my eyes before finally closing them. Jenna gives a few final taps on her phone screen, then tucks it away. That Jesse would die today? This day? I don't say it, but I'm thinking the same thing. I just didn't want to say it out loud yet. It's October 30th. Not Halloween, but the day before. But it's not that. There's been a history of deaths on this date in this town specifically of seniors at this high school. Jenna stands up and I can hear her walking back and forth. I don't think the nurse has come back yet. It's the 30th. You know what that means. We've been scared of the state ever since first grade. We knew we were going to be seniors when the anniversary rolled around. I had hoped that we all forgot about it. Jenna laughs. <laughs> no one forgets about that. Not in this town. She's right. It's this unspoken curse that we all just acknowledge. Yeah, the cops look into it, but they can only do so much. I heard the federal government looked into it one time too but I guess the history of it hasn't really been enough to establish a pattern yet. I don't know where the fuck they get that. Every 20 years on October 30th, some Bradford High senior is killed. It's happened five times the past 100 years. If that isn't a pattern, then I don't know what is. There's all kinds of theories around it. The most prevalent one is, of course, a serial killer. But a killer can't be around for 100 years. So the theory changed to someone passing the torch. Whoever would accept a job like that? Well, stranger things have happened. Warning, signal interruption detected. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters, murder, mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Signal connection restored. What's that ugly thing around your neck? 
My eyes fly open. What? I ask. Jenna sits down next to me and raises the chain of the necklace with her forefinger. This thing? Where did you get it? It was a gift. Oh, sorry, she says quickly. From Jesse. Shit, sorry, 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 sorry. You know I can be a bitch sometimes. I, I was just joking. I didn't know it was from him. Fuck, Jamie, I'm really sorry. I chuckle. Jenna can definitely be a bitch, but that's what I like about her. She's got that biting sense of humor that tends to make people uncomfortable. I always find it funny, but sometimes she takes too risky of a chance and it bites her in the ass. Like now. These are the really funny parts, though. Where she goes from grade-A bitch to stumbling over her words to get an apology out? Yeah, thanks for the compliment. I can't help but give her a hard time in these situations. I said I'm sorry, Jamie, really? I feel like a bitch. Well, you are one. I don't know how I'm the one comforting her now, but here we are. Jenna hangs her head. I kick her lightly in the shin. It's alright, dummy. She smiles. You don't have to like it. I say while sitting up from the bed. I'm the one who gets to wear it. Yeah, um, lucky. I can hear the sarcasm in her voice, but I don't care. I take it off and hold it between us. Doesn't it look like it has stars on it? Jenna leans in to take a closer look. It looks like a kindergartner spilled three different tubs of glitter on it. I brush my thumb over the pendant once more. can feel Jesse's hand from last night as he handed it to me. I clear my throat before it gets a chance to choke up. The nurse comes back into the room. All right, ladies, you're free to go. The rest of the school day passes by in a blur. All sorts of people, students and teachers alike approaching me and giving me their condolences, whether I want them or not. It's not that I don't appreciate their thoughts, I just can't stand being the center of attention. Mrs. Jones in biology apologized to me in front of the whole classroom and asked for an additional moment of silence. Not a moment of silence, but an additional one, because Principal Ward had already held one in the morning over the intercom. Mrs. Jones has always been a little tryhard, and she tried to link the death back into the lesson for the day. Matter returning to the earth? Does it count if Jesse is cremated? Can cremated ashes return back to the planet in any meaningful way? It really doesn't matter. I probably should have gone home, but I didn't want to be seen as weak. Oh, Jamie needed to take the day off. With losing a hottie like Jesse, I'd take the whole week off. That's not even a joke. I heard someone say that. It's done now, though. The day is through, and I can get home. As I leave seventh period, Jenna hops down the hallway to meet me by my locker. We out of here? I throw my books into my locker and follow her out the door. A cool autumn breeze hits us right in the face. Orange and red leaves blow by in a whirlwind as we cross the front office of the main building. I crane my neck when Jenna isn't looking to see if there's any commotion near Principal Ward's office. Cop 1 stands in the center of the main office, talking with the receptionist. Principal Ward sits at his desk in the office, talking on the phone. I see Cop 1 laugh with the receptionist, and anger rises up inside of me. Then I remember how people have just gotten used to death around here. We cross the parking lot and pass the gym. I'm barely paying attention to the conversation from Jenna. I know she really cares, but her style of comfort is the distracting kind. If something is wrong, she'll help you distract yourself so you're not thinking about it anymore. Suppression of emotions? Sure. Unhealthy? 
Probably. But sometimes the task is too big for her. She can try to distract me all she wants. There's no way I'm forgetting that my boyfriend of six months was the latest October 30th death. We round the gymnasium and Jenna looks over to me. Well? Well what? I ask. What do you think? I sigh. Uh, I gotta be honest, Jenna. I have not been paying attention at all for the past five minutes. She gives me a soft smile, then throws an arm around my shoulder in an old buddy-old-pal type gesture. That would offend me if that were anything new. Lucky for us, that's the status quo of our sisterhood. We leave the school in a cloud of leaves behind us and take the nearby deserted dirt road home. I miss Jessie more than anything, but it's hard to feel so bad on a day so good. A low rumble builds up behind us, and we turn to see a police car approaching us, a cloud of dust building behind it. The car passes us and I can see Cop 2 inside, alone. He stares at us. Jenna gives a cute salute as the car goes by. She turns and winks at me. The car goes about another 30 yards then pulls over. The brake lights glow red as Cop 2 puts the car in park and climbs out. Where are you two ladies headed today? Jenna stands fully erect and gives another military salute. We were just walking home after a very educational day at Bradford High, sir. I hit Jenna on the shoulder. Cop 2 chuckles. <laughs> he stares past Jenna straight to me. I'm real sorry about your boyfriend. I feel cold. Thanks. He leans back against the truck of his patrol car. Every time we think the deaths are going to stop, they just start back up. My dad has said that too, Jenna says. He graduated about 25 years ago. Cop 2 just stares at me. Jenna looks back at me, then back to the cop. How long have you been a cop? Why can't your people find this guy? The cop looks back to Jenna. Solving murders isn't really the easiest thing. Especially repeated murders that pop up every couple of decades. He shifts his weight from one foot to the other. How long did you know Jesse? This guy is giving me the creeps. I grasp my pendant and rub the soft surface of it with my thumb. Cop 2's eyes fall onto my necklace. Did Jesse give that to you? I nod. It was an anniversary gift. Cop 2 stands up. It wasn't his to give. Jenna stands in between us. What are you- <laughs> Jenna's body falls to the ground. Cop 2 stands over her body holding his pistol in one hand, smiling at me. He reaches out with his other hand. I'll be taking my pendant back now. I jump back and almost stumble into a nearby ditch. What the fuck? You shot her? Why the fuck would you do that? Cop 2 takes some steps toward me. Doing this shit every 20 years ain't easy, okay? Now hand over the pendant. I turn and run into the woods. Bullets zip past me hitting trees and explosions of bark. Heavy boots on hard ground echo behind me as I look back to see Cop 2 jumping over Jenna's body and coming right for me. I zigzag past a fallen oak and sprint through a bush of thorns. Another shot rings out. I haven't even been running for a minute and I'm almost out of breath. I was never a runner. My ass throbs in pain. I limp past the carcass of a dead deer, its antlers sticking up lopsided next to an ant bed. Cop 2 is catching up with me quickly. I can't outrun him. I need to hide. I need to... I trip and fall to the ground. Or at least I thought I tripped. I look down to my leg and see that blood pours out of a bullet wound. 
It hurts, but mainly just feels hot and heavy, like someone is standing on it. I crawl towards the deer carcass. Cop 2 reaches me, leaning over and catching his breath. I wasn't expecting to have to do any real work once I saw you with the pendant. <laughs> he leans down towards me, and at the last moment I grab the nearby antlers. I turn and swipe with all my might. The antlers hit Cop 2 square in the face and knock him down. He yells out in pain and I can see why as he rolls over. I let go of the antlers. He sits up and screams, one of the sharp antler points stuck directly in his left eye. You fucking bitch! He yells and lunges towards me. I fall back and feel my head hit something hard. I look over and see the handgun next to my cheek. I grab the gun and point it towards Cop 2. He tackles me, blood pouring out of his eye socket and dripping onto my face, my chest. I bring the gun up and pull the trigger. I keep pulling until it clicks. Brains and gore explode over me as bullets erupt through Cop 2's body. He screams and his mouth explodes mid-yell. His tongue falls next to my head, then his body slumps over me. Blood seeps from his open wounds and down onto my body. I look down at his body, laying on me and see my pendant on my chest. Blood drips onto the pendant. It begins to glow. I push the body of Cop 2 off me and sit up, staring at the pendant. I touch it and notice that it's warm. A wave of warmth washes over me. I feel like rays of light could shoot out of my eyes and fingertips. My leg gets really warm and I look down to see the bullet wound close right before my eyes. I reach down and touch where the wound was, but there's nothing now. Not even a scar. The pendant glows for a second longer, then the light fades away. I hold the pendant in my hand, caressing it softly, wondering what's become of me. The Ambrosius Pendant has maintained its new owner in Jamie Kilter. Jamie Kilter has been found and is now held at Facility 42 of the Redwood Bureau. Great care has been taken to discover the extent of the abilities of this newfound pendant. It would seem that the pendant can only be attuned to one person at a time, and that person is now Miss Jamie Kilter. The pendant seems to provide no other benefits to any other wearer right now. Miss Kilter is the only person who absorbs the abilities from the pendant, of which include healing and immortality. Numerous experiments have been held with animals and humans. It seems animals have no effect on the pendant, but when the pendant is used in conjunction with a sacrifice of a human, the blood received from the human is able to restore power to the pendant, allowing the wearer to prevent the process of aging. It is theorized that the law enforcement officer referenced by Miss Kilter may be the sole perpetrator responsible for the cycle of decade deaths in Miss Kilter's hometown. This individual could have established killings every 20 years, thereby allowing the pendant to be renewed and grant the wearer an extended lifespan. Immortality is of course something that will have to be measured in longer exercises, but the healing factor has been confirmed under multiple attempts. Numerous wounds have been given to and subsequently removed from Miss Kilter at the hands of the Bureau. Due to the ongoing torture executed towards Miss Kilter, an escape attempt was successful recently, now with Miss Kilter's whereabouts currently unknown. The Bureau is once again on the search for Miss Kilter, 
examining all reports of killings in the area of Jamie's small hometown. The Bureau has even gone as far as to release other experiments from Facility 42 in an attempt to lure Ms. Kilter back into the spotlight. While the original police officer in question killed seemingly innocent people, it is believed that Ms. Kilter may be of a more pure and innocent disposition, targeting those who might deserve it for her kills. The Bureau has put every resource from Facility 42 into action, in hopes of regaining control of the Ambrosius Pendant. I'm Josh Tomar, host of Redwood Bureau. Thank you for listening. Redwood Bureau is a horror fiction podcast and part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. For more dreadful terrors, follow Redwood Bureau on Spotify and iTunes, and check out our other podcasts like Unexplained Encounters and Freaky Folklore on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch under username Tomamoto, T-O-M-A-M-O-T-O, and my voiceover is featured in a wide variety of your favorite video games, anime, and other animated shows. Until next time, don't forget, this world is a strange one. (laughs) 